Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. We're carrying on with our Be Different series. And you know, as Christians, we are called to be different from the world, to look different from the world. So I included Pastor Simon's last uh, preach that he gave us on serving in the series, but actually it was part of the last series. But it's a great example of how we are different from the world. Because if we are Christians, part of our purpose and part of our call is that we have to serve. We don't get to decide whether or not we want to do that. We have to do it. We have to serve God and we have to serve others. That looks radically different from the way the world works, doesn't it? The greatest in the kingdom is a servant. That is not how the world works. Last week, Pastor Lareko kicked us off in this series, and he spoke to us about community and the power of community. And once again, we cannot choose whether or not we want to be in community. The second you are born again, you are added to the body of Christ. You are added to the family of God. Now look around this room. <laughs> That's them. <laughs> That's as glamorous as it gets, <laughs> but it's good. You can't decide whether or not you want to be part of it. You just are because you got born again. And again, that's very different from the way the world works. And today we're going to talk about significance. And as Christians, we have a very different mindset around what significance is compared to the world. And so won't you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to start reading from chapter 1, Verse 16, and this is Paul writing, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so Paul says that he's praying consistently for the Ephesians, but for all Christians, and even for us today, that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, the only way we can know God is if he reveals himself to us. We cannot come to God on our own terms. We have to come to him on his terms. We cannot dictate to him how we want to know him. Rather, he tells us how we have to know him. And this means that Christianity is an all-or-nothing deal. It's kind of like pregnancy. Nobody in the universe has ever been a little pregnant. You know, the baby grows, but either you're pregnant or you're not. And it's exactly the same with Christianity. And so we cannot know God without Him revealing Himself to us. But who read their Bible this week? No judgment, but... <laughs> Who read their Bible this week? Well, here's the good news. When you read the Bible, you received a revelation of who God is. In fact, the Bible is literally the history of God revealing himself to mankind. And what he's saying is, I am God. I exist. I am here. And I want to know you, and I want to be known by you. You know, one of the prophets asks a really important question. He's, he says, can a man know God? There's only one answer, yes, he can. Not because of us, not because of what we have, 
but because God is a God who wants to be known. Every word written in the Bible, everything that God has done from the creation of the world up until today is so that we might know him. He wants us to know him and he wants to be known by us. But so many in the world today have the eyes of their heart darkened. And if the eyes of our heart are darkened, we can't receive that revelation of God. So when you and I got born again, when we made a choice to make Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior, there was revelation that hit our hearts, and we came into relationship with God. But even from that day to this, wherever we are, there is still a bit of a place, because Paul isn't writing to unbelievers here, he's writing to Christians. And he's saying you need a revelation of wisdom um, and understanding to have your heart enlightened. And so there's a space even for us where there's a little bit of dark thinking in our heart. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from our past. It comes from abuse we've suffered, pain we've suffered, disappointment we've suffered. It comes from us growing up in a world where we started believing that if I don't do it for myself, it will never happen which led us to a belief that my destiny, my purpose, my significance is all up to me. It all depends on me. See, that's how the world thinks, but that's not how we think. And so you and I also need to continually have a fresh revelation of God so that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened again to his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and who he really is. Knowledge of God draws us into a close and intimate relationship with Him. The more I know God, the more I am convinced of who He has made me to be, the more I will live out the call He has given me for my life. And so Paul writes and says that this spirit of wisdom and revelation comes that you may know what it is to, to sorry, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Colossians 1.27 gives us the answer of this hope. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in us is our hope of glory. Until he comes to live in our hearts, there isn't a person on this planet who can hope for glory. And we are the redeemed of God. We are those who have said, yes, Lord, we will follow you. And that means he is living inside our hearts. And suddenly all our success, all our hope for significance, all our hope for glory is where? Inside of him, inside of us. That he is in us. You know, we cannot talk about significance without talking about the issue of security. That feeling of security is like there's solid ground under my feet. I know where I'm going and I can build a future based on that. But in the world, all your security is externally based. Your security is your finances, your standing, your position, your reputation, what other people think of you. That's all you have. And so we're trying to build security, but if you think about all of those things, how fast can they go away? I mean, if you don't know what time the electricity is going off, <laughs> you get taken by surprise, because it always is there until ESCOM decides it isn't. And so those things cannot be true security. 
But for you and I who have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, our significance cannot be external anymore. He inside of us is the hope of glory. And so our definition of success is no longer anchored in temporal worldly things, but in eternal spiritual realities. And the first of these is our createdness. We were made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our worth is absolutely connected to our creator. John Piper makes this quote. He says it this way. The true significance of life is that God made human beings in his own image with precious value. And that value, that significance, consists in knowing God, loving God, showing God. See, God has breathed his life into us. He has breathed his spirit into us. Every single one of us who are believers, but every single human being has God-breathed spirit inside of them. Every human being, even if they don't believe in God, has a spirit on the inside of them. And that spirit belongs to God. That is his breath. And you know, one day God's going to ask for his breath back. And I believe that when he does that, he's going to ask us, what did you do with my breath? See, the issue of, I mean, God formed us from the dust of the earth. I was saying in the first service, there really could have been way tidier ways to make man. But God chooses to get down into the dust and make his hands dirty. I mean, if you look at that picture of the potter and the clay, um, that's exactly what God did. He formed us like the potter forms the clay. And if you've ever watched somebody work with pottery, their hands get really dirty. But their hands also imprint on the clay. And you and I and every other single human being are walking around with the fingerprints of God on our soul. That is how involved he is with us. See, the issue of value is this. Value is bestowed by the valuer. Whatever you are willing to pay for something, that is its absolute intrinsic value. Imagine if we all went to pick and pay and we just stood there and said, we refuse to pay these prices. How long would it take before they dropped the prices? The fact is we live such busy lives, we're quite happy to just pay the price, moan about it later. <laughs> and so Woolies has decided, I mean, pick and pay has decided the value of chicken for us. But in the same way, God has decided how valuable we are to him. Now, there's a scripture that every single one of you knows. You know it in a version or other of the Bible. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to recite it with me in whatever version you know it. And it's John 3.16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Value is bestowed by the valuer. And right there, God gives us the highest value the universe could possibly imagine. It's ridiculous how much he values us in the scripture. You are valued. Secondly, Paul says to us that the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes to teach us what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That word riches might confuse us into thinking that it's just money. 
Money is the least part of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So a Catholic nun is teaching her catechism class of nine-year-olds, and she asks the all-important question, what is a saint? And little Bobby puts up his hands, and he says, a saint is a dead Christian. <laughs> and by their definition, he's right. <laughs> but actually, you and I are the saints of God. It's got nothing to do with our behavior. Some of us most certainly do not act like saints. But it's got to do with the fact that we have entrusted our salvation into the blood of Jesus. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is what makes us saints. And so, again, look around this room. Welcome to the saints. This is as glamorous as it gets. But it's so, so good. And as we're talking about significance, we have to talk about the issue of worthiness. And worthiness is not what I do, but whose I am. Acts 17 verse 18 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him. Now God created every single human being on this planet to be loved, to be seen, and to belong. He put that intrinsically in us. When we are loved, seen, and, and have a sense of belonging, it is the optimal environment, and we grow with a strong sense of significance, with a strong sense of centeredness. Now, no matter what family you came from, no matter how good they were, no matter how much they loved you, no family is perfect. So parents, the good news is you can't be perfect, because otherwise your child wouldn't need God. <laughs> I mean, do the best you can, but then teach them to love Jesus because there's stuff only he will give them. That was for free. But the point I'm making is that um, every human being has a bit of lack in some of these areas. It's a sliding scale of lack, but we all have lack. To be loved, to be seen, to have a sense of belonging. And this is what we see happening in the world, because as soon as somebody feels like there's a lack in one of those areas, we will do whatever we need to do to fill up the lack. And that's dysfunctional behavior. We, we go to weird places to feel loved. We do crazy things to feel like we belong. We do whatever it takes to look so that people will see us. And we act dysfunctionally. But you see, when Jesus Christ came and saved us, of course, he saved us from sin, didn't he? But he also came to restore us into a full relationship with God, into absolute right standing with God. And part of that full relationship with God is that he loves us, that he sees us, that he has accepted us, that we belong to him. And this clashes with our past. This clashes with our darkened understanding. Because we believed a whole bunch of lies. So in a way, um, Bobby was right about dead Christians because all of us should have died to our past selves. To be saints, we should have died from our past. But that means letting go of lies we've believed, letting go of striving. I have struggled with this my whole Christian life, to just know that God loves me without the effort that I have to make to make him love me. That he just accepts me because that's his choice. And we have to make our peace with that, that you are loved, you are seen, and you have belonging. First and foremost, 
um, we get this from God. You know, God defines himself to us in very familial terms. He is father. He is brother. He is friend. He is the lover of our souls. In healthy spaces, fathers protect you. Fathers show you the world. Fathers help you shoot out there and be what you're supposed to be because you've got their full support. Fathers affirm you. They tell you that you are loved. They give you identity. Brothers have your back on the playground. (laughs) Brothers stand up for you in the fight. Friends recognize you and encourage you and inspire you. I'm not 100% sure what lovers do. I'm single. Um, I think the fact that some of you are laughing, and I know you also shouldn't know what lovers are, but that's another, that's another sermon. Um, but God talks to us. He reveals to himself in such intimate spaces. And, and for some of us, it's, it's hard. When, we, when, when I say the word father, some of you don't have a clue. Because that's how dysfunctional life has been for you. But what God is saying is, I will teach you what a father is. It is unacceptable that you don't know, so I will be your father. And the same with each of those other terms. But it's our responsibility to push into that. You see, he is your father. Will you receive him as such? But not only does God do this for us himself, but again, look around this room. He puts us into spiritual family where other broken, slightly damaged, slightly dusty people get to help us feel loved, be seen, belong. You belong to us. We belong to you. Some of us are running out the door the second the pastor says, amen. No. We are not going to hang around anymore. We're going to be known. We are going to be seen. When Pastor Sly talks about connect group, this is the thing. It's hard. When, when, when our hearts are darkened, we have shame. We don't want to be seen and known. When we have an encounter with Jesus Christ and the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, we, get, we want to be seen. We want to be known. And so again, this is a gift that God has given us. Will you partake of it? Will you be part of it? Because that is your choice. I suggest that you say yes. And the sooner the better. And so if some of you are a bit confused about me using the word worthiness, I think I've explained it. But because we are built with the need for those things, every human being is worthy of them. Okay, so in our context, the difference between worthiness and deserving, now let's just talk about, none of us are deserving. When it comes to God's riches of inheritance, none of us deserve, we cannot work ourselves into them. None of us have entitlement. He is so good, he just gives it to us. So in our context, the word worthy means that we have worth, merit, or value based solely on the fact that we are created in the image of God and loved by him. Deserving is to be worthy of reward, praise, or merit based on standing or performance or the approval of men. And so we cannot and we must not strive for God's love anymore by our own efforts. True significance is understanding that our value is in relationship to his acceptance of us in Jesus Christ. God's love and presence with us affirms us to him. 
Affirmation is another basic human need. Now let, now let me explain. We don't need approval. We need affirmation. How do we get affirmation? Because we're loved, we're seen, and we belong. Some of us are striving for approval, for God's approval, for the pastor's approval, for the world's approval. We're not living out of affirmation. We have value because we are His, and He leads us into holy and righteous living by His grace that His blessing may rest on us. I want to remind you of something. God can only bless righteousness. Because God can only bless a space He's welcome in. I have heard Christians pray for God to bless unrighteousness. Because we don't want to change our hearts. I think I might have done that in my day. God will only bless righteousness. But he makes us righteous. We no longer seek approval for acting right, but we live from the affirmation of being made righteous in Jesus Christ. And when we do this, we no longer live for the approval of men anymore, but for the glory of God. And the third thing Paul writes in this section of Ephesians is that the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes to show us what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. The immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great might. And for me, this speaks of giftedness, that I am blessed to be a blessing. Every single human being on this planet has been born with gifts and talents already inside them. In fact, all of you are gifted way beyond anything you'll be able to express in one lifetime. And so this is what makes purpose a little difficult, because we have some choice and leeway in purpose. What gift are we going to work on? We don't, we don't have seven lifetimes to figure everything out. So in my high school years, I was good friends with people um, and they got into ballroom dancing, and I sort of went along and discovered I had a talent for it, and I really enjoyed it. And so throughout high school, I was doing competitive ballroom dancing, and like really, I was at the studio like five times a week, competitions every weekend. I was a lot thinner back then. Um, and, I mean, competitive. And, and I was starting to build dreams and hopes around ballroom dancing, that I was going to be a champion, that I was going to become a world-class teacher, that I was going to open my own studio and be super successful, because that was my life. That was the one talent and gift I was giving expression to. And then in my early 20s, I had to work and figure stuff out, so I couldn't get involved. And over time, it just faded away. And today, I don't miss it at all. It, it's, it was a valuable part of my life. It taught me stuff, but I don't miss it at all. I still love it when I get to see it on YouTube or whatever. It's great. But I, have, I haven't built my life around that anymore. Other talents came to before. Other things I didn't even know I had came to before. In fact, I want to say this to you. I turned 48 last year. And what I am, <laughs> what I am beginning... <laughs> yeah, all the over 40s are excited. Um, all the rest of you are just horrified. Um, <laughs> What I have learned getting older is that in every decade of my life, God opens up whole new understandings of giftedness that I didn't know I had. And it's going to be the same for you. Um, so, so God gifts us, and, and, then, and then we have talents that we can work on. And we must work on them, and we must grow them. Um, but these gifts and talents, in and of themselves, cannot be our purpose. 
They are vehicles that God will allow us, will give us to use to express the purpose he's given us. Because your calling is your whole life. It's not just one thing. And in the world, people define themselves by the one thing they're good at. You know, I'm a dancer, I'm a painter, I'm a writer, I'm a cook, I'm a mom. That's all good and well, but what if you're trying to identify yourself by something that's really temporary? So I, my job before I started working for the church was at the Civic Theater. I was an admin there, and I, we did um, opening night stuff, and I really loved it. It was a very creative environment, even though I wasn't being profoundly creative in that environment. But um, one of my favorite seasons at the Civic Theater was ballet season, because um, we'd have troops coming in from Russia or England, and then often there would be live orchestras that would play. And so what I loved to do when the orchestra was practicing is at lunchtime I could go eat my lunch in the orchestra pit and watch the musicians. And, and so doing that, I got to see a little bit about how ballet works. And I imagine it's very much the same as professional sports athletes, for those of you who are more inclined that way. Um, but what I began to realize is, to be a prima ballerina, you had to have about 12 years of training. And so girls start, you know, little girls start at like two, I guess. Um, and so it was very possible. Um, and then you could be, so you became a prima ballerina around 19, 20, 21. But you only had five to 10 years at the most of being able to hold that position because bodies grow old. In ballet and sports, bodies break a lot. And so there's a lot of injury. And if, you, if that girl defines her whole identity, purpose, and significance around being a prima ballerina, what does she do in six years' time? When she's 28, and the new 20-year-old rocks up, who's way more pliable, strong, graceful, and she can't do what she's done, who is she going to be? Because let's say she's, she's done with that at 30, she's going to live to 90. She's got double her life to be nothing, if that's all she's defined herself by. And it's the same for sports people. Zale was actually telling me, because he, he worked in the health industry and a lot of that was around sports in injuries, and he was saying that for sports people, it is such a single-minded purpose. You just go, your whole life revolves around, just like that. I mean, they don't eat, because if they put on half a, a, half a piece of fat, then they can't fit into their tutos and they're done. Um, for sports guys, they're so focused on everything, and then out of the blue, they have a knee injury, and it's gone. Who are you after that? And so we've got to be careful that we don't define ourselves by something we're good at. Um, yeah. Now, just like, like gifts and talents, positions and titles are also not our purpose. Because Barack Obama, the, most, the highest title he might ever hold in his entire life is president of the USA. He was that for eight years. The day after he stopped being president, we didn't drag him outside and say, thanks for everything, and then shoot him. <laughs> because why? Because he still has value. And he better be growing in his purpose and value till the day he dies. He better be better the day he dies than he ever was as the president. And so a title and a position is also just a vehicle that allows you to, to pour your purpose out. Gifts and talents are to be used to bless and encourage others, not to forge a sense of significance in myself. 
And this is the problem. You know, there is a space in our lives, even as Christians, where we can grow our spiritual gifts but neglect our character. And there's a problem in the church because even in the church, you and I exalt gifts very quickly. That worship leader, that prophet, that pastor, I mean, praise God for their gifts. But are we asking about their character? And before we ask about their character, are we willing to help them with their character? This is called discipleship. And so it's a problem. In the world, we exalt people to, to positions like that because they can sing well. Then we wonder why they fall apart later on. They're not leaders, they're singers. And so that's our responsibility. What I focus on will grow. I love prophesying. I absolutely love it. It's a gift God's given it me. First and foremost, I cannot prophesy without God. I might be able to encourage you or pray, but I cannot prophesy. So how is it a definition of who I am? Do you, do you get that? And I'm going after prophecy, but I better be going after my character. And this is a really good time to bring in a quote by one of my favorite preachers. And this is the quote, do not get intoxicated with your gift, said Simon Lerafolo. Just a little while ago. Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so using my gifts and talents for God and to bless others will always bless me and may even be able to make a living for me. But the gift makes me useful and a blessing. It does not add any value to who God thinks I am. Proverbs 11.25 says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And when we move in our gifts like that, when we are blessing others, blessing God, there is a space of affirmation that comes to us in the gift. And that's great, as long as it doesn't become a place of identity and significance. And so rather, we should seek to grow our gifts and talents as a way of revealing Christ to others. In conclusion, because significance himself has created me in his image, has invited me into intimate relationship, has called me for his divine purposes, and has graced and gift me to, gifted me to serve him and others, I am significant. Amen. Let, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. So I want to just pray for, for one thing as we close. So maybe just close your eyes and open your heart. Father God, I just invite you right now. God, would you come and just speak to us in the place of our worthiness before you, Lord God? God, where we have felt unloved, unseen, unaccepted. Holy Spirit, would you just show us those places now? And Father God, where we have gone to dysfunctional behavior to try and fill the lack of that, Lord God, would you have mercy on us right now? And just where you are, if you're realizing that you've looked for love in the wrong places, that you've sought approval more than affirmation, whatever it is, just confess that to the Lord and just give it to Him. Just let Him have it. Because God, today we know that You love us, that You see us, that we belong to You, Lord God. And God, we want to push into that. Now, just say to God in your heart, just say to Him, I receive Your love. I receive Your recognition. I receive Your belonging. 
And Father God, we are not going to live from any other space from today, Lord God. Help us, Lord God. Some of us need deep healing, but Lord, we know you're going to come. We know that in this community, God, we're going to help each other to feel loved, to feel seen, to feel like we belong, Lord Jesus. And I just rebuke any strategy of the enemy against any heart in this room that will lie to them about these things. You will not any longer. And Father, we just ask that we would feel your love, feel your recognition, Feel your approval wherever we go, Lord Jesus. We ask for that in your mighty name. And then I want to just ask if there's anybody here who feels like maybe you have not yet encountered God in a way that has enlightened your heart, that you haven't really made Him Lord and Savior. And if that is you, won't you please just raise your hand quickly. We just want to pray with you and just acknowledge you. If there's anybody like that in the room, just put your hand up. Tony, do you want to come up? Awesome. Well, I think we're done then. God bless you. Thank you.